Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much. But oh, it's something God. That I you know, I, it, that, that every I time know. I hear that interview, it just, I, you know, it, we can't teach it. Well, what is it? Well, I'm not going to get into it because I don't understand it. Oh, my God, which meant that's why I had to reach out to Southern uh, South Carolina Professor Kevin Brown. I was um, uh, looking over my daily uh, alerts I get from Washington University in St. Louis, my alma mater, and I saw where they were going to have you as a lecturer, and I said, you got to get him on the Madison Show. And Professor Brown, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Well, good morning, Joe, uh, and it's great to be here. Uh, before we get into uh, your your lesson today for sure. my audience, I uh, Sam uh, Sam Nassau, my senior producer, told me you had just uh, had a series of meetings with uh, what state legislators and others yeah. about this issue. Can you talk to us about that? Sure, sure, sure. So um, as probably many people in your audience know, there's been a tremendous move throughout the country to try to ban anti-divisive or anti-CRT critical race theory concepts. So uh, our meeting this past um, Friday was with legislators who are battling this in Missouri as well as, as Indiana and South Carolina. And then these measures have already passed in New Hampshire and in Florida, so they're into the second stage, which is going to be the court litigation against these um, uh, efforts. So we have basically people from all five of those states on on the line talking both about, well, is there anything you can do or what can you do to try to stop these moves in the legislature? And if they do survive the legislature, uh, what aspects are most liable to be struck down by the federal courts. And and so let and I should go back to your the introduction. Sure. Professor Kevin Browns who you're listening to right now, he he joined the faculty of the University of South Carolina School of Law uh 35 years at Indiana University uh a school of law there. Uh, and right. uh, and I should say he was an original participant in both the critical race theory workshop. Now, get this, that was held in Madison, Wisconsin in 1989. That's how far this goes back. And he has published over 80 articles or and comments on issues such as critical race theory, school desegregation, uh, the list goes on and and on. Uh, so, uh, so uh, let's see. It, it, can you explain? You know, I always say my grandfather after <laughs> yeah. used to say, "Put it where the goats can get it." Uh, explain okay. it so that the average person can understand. What is sure. critical oh. race theory? Okay, I'm I'm going to give you a two part explanation. Okay. One one for us coming out of law, 
And then second, what seems to be the issue in, in K through 12 schools. Um, for us in law, we, we met in 1989. And, you know, I think, a, so, and you have to remember, we're law professors. So our job is to teach people how to make arguments. Uh, it doesn't matter what side it is, you can make arguments. So we know they're going to be legitimate arguments anybody can make. Um, so what we began to re what we realized in 1989 was, given the way the United States Supreme Court had interpreted the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, it had pretty much banned uh, race-based programs to attack the continuing racial disparities that exist in so many of the socioeconomic factors. Um, and by doing so, what the court had done was to freeze into place those inequalities. Uh, so we really felt that without a fundamental change in the way the court interpreted equal protection law, um, the black community in particular would be subject to these racial disparities in things like family income, family wealth, education, the criminal justice system, right, you know, on and on and on. Um, perpetually. So so our goal was to really try to change the governing law with respect to racial discrimination in order to allow policies and programs to continue to attack the racial disparities. And because we were dealing with the Supreme Court where five of the justices were conservative, four of them were liberal, we always had a sense that we were close if, if one justice could flip over. And, and that occurred when Justice Scalia died, but then Mitch McConnell refused to bring Barack Obama's appointee, Merrick Garland, uh, in front of the Senate. That, that would have flipped the Supreme Court from conservative to liberal for the first time since 1972 when Richard Nixon got his four justices on the court. That's the legal aspect. Mm -hmm. Now, the educational aspect is that we realize that the reason people didn't understand the need to attack the continuing racial disparities is because Americans didn't really understand the history of racial discrimination in our society. You know, you don't have slavery without a society believing that slavery is the natural order of things. And you don't have segregation without a society believing segregation is the natural order of things. So you don't have the racial disparities that we have in all of our socioeconomic issues if pe unless people believe the racial disparities are the natural order of things. And what we were trying to do from an educational standpoint is to make the point that the disparities really are a function of the history of racial discrimination of our society. And I assume, Professor, backed by uh, by law in, in a large part. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, of course, everything we're doing is within law, but of course, our, our ultimate goal is to change law. Right, um, right, right, right. Right. Just like if we were in slavery times, we would have been abolitionists, or if we were in segregation times, we would have been desegregationists. So in these times, what we're trying to attack are the continuing 
racial disparities in the socioeconomic factors. And, and that's the thing. When you start to look at things like family income, uh, you see that black family incomes more or less been 60 percent of white family income since 1960. And that means you can trace it back to the days of segregation that we never really put policies and programs in place uh, to attack these racial disparities. Well, how do you argue a concert, a, a person who might say, well, what, excuse me, Professor uh, Brown, uh, you had the, the, the fair housing law, you, you had the Voting Rights Act, you had the Civil Rights Act uh, of 64. Uh, what do you mean that these that uh, what they didn't have an impact or what they weren't properly? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Great point. Great point. So so that's the other thing that one must understand about the way we looked at these issues from the standpoint of critical race theory. We certainly felt that Civil Rights Act of 1964, Voting Rights Act of 1965, Fair Housing Act of 68 these measures effectively dealt with the conscious, intentional, discriminatory person. So we were not concerned about the Ku Klux Klan. We were not concerned about the neo-Nazis. And we weren't concerned about the segregationists that barred us from lunchroom counters or entering universities. We really did feel that the law in place handled that. Uh, The problem was that the law did not deal with the institutional biases that existed in our society that are a result of the history of discrimination. There was an assumption that the only problem of segregation is its impact on black people. But we were arguing that no, no, it did more than just simply negatively impact black people the institutional policies and practices that maintain the racial disparities were created during a period of time of racial discrimination. Those institutional policies and practices need to be disestablished. If they're not, then we will continue to have the disparities that we have. Um, I'll give you a small example, but I could give you a thousand of them. Um, Go ahead. I was talking to a couple of my law students who went to majority white schools. Right. And they and they talked about how they did field trips to the cotton fields. Okay, now that might make sense if you got just all white students and you're trying to give them an education about um the the, the horrors of cotton production. But when you're taking black kids there in majority white settings, you can just imagine the kind of things that the white kids would have been saying to the black kids uh, and the kind of feeling that the black kids would have. So rather than participate in this, they stayed on the bus. That's an example of a kind of field trip that we wouldn't have done if we really had thought from the very beginning that education needs to be inclusive of all points of view. Uh, but the problem is that we approach public education with the notion of what's best for the white kids without really making much change for for, for the African American kids. And and that and and in part, correct me if I'm wrong. That's that's what bothers me and a lot of people about. Well, we're we're not going to teach black history or what. And now and I'll get into why. How how is it that they couple the 
critical race theory with black history. But I'm more concerned, I, I seem to be more concerned about if I teach black history, the impact is going to have on my white student uh, than, yeah. than the impact it, it just has in general on, it should be on any human being. You, you, well, well, let me put it to you this way. The, the way I tend to look at these anti-CRT measures right. is that they are really trying to say it is racist to point to the racism in American right. society. Right. And, and, and that's, so it's not that we're saying anything untrue. You know, we're, we're talking about the history of racism and just how deep it went. But the notion is to say the mere effort to point it out is racist. Now, the problem with America, it seems to me, is that if you don't understand just how bad our history of discrimination is, and you then come to the racial disparities today, you assume that the racial disparities are the result of some failings within African-American people as opposed to the history of discrimination. So by not talking about the history of discrimination, you lead to this unfair interpretation that the problem must be something wrong with black people. Yeah, I get that. I mean, every day to the point I ignore it on my tweets. Oh, yeah. you, 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 Joe sure. Madison, you, you, you're, you're a racist for t- talking about the impact of racism. Or, uh, you know, right. Yeah, you, you're the racist. So, uh, yeah. 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 Now, 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 that then comes from uh, what's probably been one of the harder things to understand uh, is the impact of the concept of colorblindness. Um, certainly, when when I'm getting to know someone, getting to meet someone, talking to someone, I want to treat them as an individual, right? right? You know, I don't have Ken, the white friend. It's Ken or right. Jeff, the white friend, it's Jeff. Right. Um, I want to talk about them and get to know them as, as a person. But when you then use colorblindness in education, uh, in law, in politics, what it will do then is it ignores the experiences of people of color that are based upon race. So it, it systematically says, we're not who we are. Um, We're these sort of abstract individuals. Um, It also downplays the importance of history. Because if you're supposed to treat someone as an individual, which once again, is fine when talking about individuals, but when we're talking about politics, when we're talking about education, uh, when we're talking about business, um, if, if you do that, then you can't explain how the history of racial discrimination has impacted our society today. Um, So where colorblindness clearly has its place, it doesn't have its place because it becomes a silencing of the history of discrimination and the need for our society to address it. Let me me again reintroduce my guest, Professor Kevin Brown, who is part of the faculty University of South Carolina School of Law uh, and Uh, Again, he was an original participant in both the first, repeat, the first critical race theory workshop held in Madison, Wisconsin in 19, 
1989, as well as the next four annual workshops. And he has published uh, just numerous uh, articles and comments on, on issues as it relates to critical race theory and school desegregation. Um, one, I wrote a note while you were talking. Um, what should our allies... Our, you know, our, our white brown uh, allies do, or the mistake it, that they that they might make. How can they be? And I'll try to be as positive about this as, sure. as possible. You know, how can they be more supportive? And and, and as it relates to this sure. struggle, I, you know, I think the issue is really them learning more about the history of racial discrimination in the United States. Um, If I go back to critical race theory, this was the first time that you had law professors of color who taught in predominantly white law schools coming together to teach about race. And, And in our coming together, we began to realize we're not having these individual experiences in our different institutions, that what's going on here is something that's much larger than us as individuals. It's really this entire cultural aspect of of the United States. So, So what we're really directed towards is to try to change dominant American thinking so that we understand how much the history of racial discrimination has shaped the lives of people today. Uh, so it would really start there. You know, I'll just give you one quick example, the Civil War. Um, 10% of the Union's war casualties were black male troops. By the end of the war, 13% of the U.S. Army was composed of black males, 25% the U.S. Navy. Both Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant will say repeatedly, we would not have been able to win the war without the black troops. Now, you look at all the Civil War uh, movies and programs, you rarely see black troops. But yet if they were 10% of the Union war dead and one in seven of the Union army officer or army personnel at the end of the war, they were prevalent in there. But if you get the sense that black people were sort of sitting by on the plantation waiting to be liberated, as opposed to the fact that 85% of eligible black males in the North fought for the Union during the war, you get a totally different interpretation of, of the abolition of slavery you get the sense that we weren't the ones who held the union together, which is what Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant say. Instead, you get a sense that we were beneficiaries of this war to to, to lead to our uh, liberation, which is not true. So it's, it's the understanding of the history and understanding the tremendous impact that black people have had in this society. Um, that I think is what our white allies need to understand Mm -hmm. because those are the conversations they need to have with their white colleagues, conversations that are really changing the view of how much the black community has done for American society, but also by the same token, 
how much we as a society have to overcome with respect to our history of discrimination. Uh, finally, uh, when you, I mean, it, it must drive you nuts when, and I'm speaking really for myself, when you hear Nikki Haley or Tim Scott claim America yeah. is not a racist country, and you're right there in South. Yeah, I, that's right. You're right, right there in South Carolina. Right. So right. if, you, if right. you had to, if I put the three of you in a closed room, in a room right. and closed the door. What would you say right. to Nikki Haley or Tim Scott? Uh, the first thing I would say is, you know, on my way to the law school, uh, every day I have to pass a statue of a Civil War Confederate soldier that's right there on Main Street in front of the State House at the at South Carolina. Uh, this is how prominent Confederate symbols are here in South Carolina. Uh, I will drive on, on Calhoun Street to go to Main Street past this Confederate statue. So the symbols of the Confederacy are everywhere here in South Carolina. You know, you'll, you'll have Robert E. Lee High School and Stonewall Jackson Middle School. And, and the, the, the dismissing of how these symbols would be understood by the black community, just, just like the poor students of mine who were taken to cotton fields on a field trip. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I'd say, look, it is so ingrained here, but it's, it's, it's a history that you're dealing with, right? It, it's a history that is impacting all of us. It's not just a white thing. It's not just a black thing. It's the American history. And what we're trying to do is overcome this terrible history of racial discrimination that our society has. I appreciate you coming on and giving us a good working definition and of, of, of how this whole critical race theory uh, be, became now part of our popular mm -hmm. uh, discussion. Because I, 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 you know, I'm like everybody else. Uh, I wish I had come across... Uh, your lectures and you prior to this knowing that this, I didn't even know it went back to a group of you meeting in 1989. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that in itself uh, is, is fascinating. Um, well, let me, let, I, yeah. I will say this. Yes. When you look at, when you look at history, right. It's always a selective interpretation. What does Not that mean? What does that mean? A selective interpretation. It means the winners write the history. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so, for for we as as African Americans, uh, the places where you write the history books are in our academic institutions. We simply were not in these institutions at all until at least the 1960s. And, and once again, if I go to the meeting in critical race theory in 1989. There were 23 of us, and we were either the only or one of two people of color on our law school faculty. So we weren't there to tell the counter story of the experience of the black community uh, in, in U.S. history. And now we are. And, and now people are beginning to see other perspectives and points of view. Um, but we were writing right along with the feminists who hadn't been there either. 
You know, that that speaks to, as I close out, Professor Brown, that's why you got to be at the table. Right, right, right. You got to be at the table. Right. Yeah. You have to be. Yeah. Uh, I hope we can call on you again. Uh, Professor uh, Kevin Brown, thank you so much. I mean, and I so appreciate you giving us your time and and expertise. Uh, I'll I'll send you a tuition payment, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> no, okay, I, Joe, continue the good work that you're doing, and, too. And I hope you have a, 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 a good, uh, I hope you, I, I hope they treat you well at Washington University Law School. There. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah they, it, it was. Uh, oh, it you've was already a done it. University. Oh, you were the, yeah, already, yeah, I did, I did it on, right. Right. Indeed, the meeting that we had came out of that visit, and I was there, um, what, a week ago Friday. Oh, good, good, good. Thank you so much. We'll call again. Okay. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.